All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to use one of the blue ones on the pew in front of you. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 today. Now, as I came to this text, we finished chapter 14 last week. As I came to this text this week, started looking at it, and originally I'd planned to preach through verses 1 through 11. It's a nice little section there, uh, and then it moves on to almost a different topic. But as I started studying through it, I realized there is just so much to chew on in this text. Now, my first thought was, well, we're only in one service, so I can preach as long as I want. It doesn't matter, and people will still get out at the same time, right? But then I was like, no, let's, let, let's take this in bite-sized chunks so we can all handle it, and we're all not getting fatigued after, you know, the 41st point of the sermon. But there is just a ton to chew on in these verses. Today we're going to only be focusing on the first two. The first two. And let me tell you, this is one of those texts where it's like it just preaches itself. You know, it's really nice as a preacher when you come upon a text like this. Sometimes you get a text where, boy, you've got to do a lot of digging. There's a whole lot of prep work and and digging under the surface to bring out what the people need, right? And then sometimes it's like there's just gold right on the surface just to pick up and it preaches itself. And that's like the text that we come to today. Now, I'm not going to read our text yet. We'll read it here in just a second. But I want you to notice the first few words in verse 1. Where Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. I would remind you. Now it is reported that in the 1500s, as the great reformer Martin Luther preached to his congregation, one Sunday one member came up and asked him, why do you preach the gospel to us week after week after week? And Luther responded and said, Because week after week, you forget it. That is true not just of them, but of us. It's true of me. We constantly need to be reminded of the gospel. We need others to remind us. We constantly need to remind ourselves. We need it because we are so prone to forget it in our everyday lives. We need to be reminded over and over again of the gospel. Now let's read our text. Our text today is verses 1 through 2, but I want to read down through verse 4 just to kind of give us some context here. But I'll focus in on verses 1 through 2 for the remainder of the sermon. God's word to us through the Apostle Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, again, we're focusing on the first two verses here, and I want you to see in verses 1 and 2 how Paul says four things about the gospel. And we're going to take those four things as the structure of our sermon today. Four things about the gospel in verses 1 and 2. He says about the gospel, we receive it, we stand in it, we are being saved by it, and we must hold fast to it. All that in those first two verses. So let's take those in turn. Number one, he speaks of the gospel and he says we receive it. 
This gospel I preach to you, he says, which you received. Verse 1. One of the things that this tells us is the gospel is not something that you work to achieve. The gospel is not something that you achieve. It's not something that you earn. The gospel is something that you receive. Now, this is hard for some people, especially for Americans. We've trained ourselves for our entire lives. We work for what we have. We earn what we have. We put in the work and we receive the reward for putting in the work. And yet the gospel is not something that you achieve. It's not something that you earn. You receive it. You're supposed to just receive it. One of the most helpful ways I've heard this put is this. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. The gospel is good news. It's not good advice. Good advice is all about what you should or should not do. I'm going to give you some advice. I'm going to tell you, you should do this. You should not do that. Right? That's good advice. You hear a lot of good advice today all over the place. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should not do. You even hear a lot of good advice in churches. But the gospel, good news, it's not about what you should or should not do. It's about what has already been done. It's done. You receive it. You might say in many churches today, moralism is being preached, and we never get past moralism. Now, the Bible has lots of moralistic lessons for us, right? The Bible has lots of lessons on what we should or should not do. But if that is where we leave it, if we never get past the do this, don't do this, be a good person because God rewards good people, don't be a bad person because God sends bad people to hell. If we never get past that, we're never getting to the heart of what this whole thing is all about. We're never getting to the gospel. Because the advice of moralism, it lays burdens on people. But the good news of the gospel takes burdens off. The gospel takes a burden off of us. The advice of moralism encourages people to save themselves. Good news takes the focus off of yourself and places it on someone else. We're no longer looking at ourselves. We're no longer thinking about ourselves. It's Him. It's Jesus. The gospel is good news. And so the question is, what are you going to do with it? I mean, really, what do, you, what do you do with good news? Just any good news. You hear good news, what do you do with good news? Well, you, you just hear it and believe it. That's what you have to do with good news, right? Now, interestingly enough, there are places in our Bibles where it tells us that we must obey the gospel. It talks about obedience to the gospel in places like 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2 Peter 4. You must obey this gospel. Right? There are things to do in response to the gospel. You hear the news and you need to respond to it. But you need to respond to it in the way that God has ordained that we respond to it. But even then, even then the Bible is speaking of us meeting God's conditions to receive His free gift. Grace is free. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. All God asks is that you receive it on His terms. You meet Him on His terms. It's like in the old days when a town crier would come in the middle of a crowded marketplace and he would say, Hear ye, hear ye. The King of all the land has declared that He offers forgiveness and friendship to anyone who is willing to accept this free gift on His terms. All you must do to receive the free gift of grace 
is trust in His Son, Jesus. Confess Him as Lord of your life. Repent of your sins and be baptized. But this gift is not something you earn, brothers and sisters. This gift of grace, this good news, is not something you achieve. It's something we receive. You have to receive it. You can't get it. You can't reach out and earn it. You can't make it yours. You just receive it. It's good news. You receive the gospel. And so Paul says of this gospel, you received it. But he also says right after that, this gospel in which you stand. We stand in the gospel, brothers and sisters. We stand in the gospel. Now, what does that actually mean, though? You know, as you read through your Bibles, I hope you're reading your Bible on your own. As you read through your Bibles, it can be very helpful to stop sometimes and to ask, what does that really mean? I mean, I know I, I understand the English words. I get the grammar, right? But what does that really mean practically in my life? We could just read, this is the gospel in which you stand and move on and go on to something else. Okay, I get it. But do we really get it? Do I really know what that means to stand in the gospel? Let's ask the question, what does it mean to stand in it? Well, I think it means at least two things. First, it means this is where we plant our feet. We're not going anywhere, right? We stand in the gospel. We are not going anywhere. We are not moving away from the gospel. My feet are right here. You might as well go ahead and pour the cement because I'm never going anywhere. In April of 1521, in the city of Worms, Germany, Charles V called an imperial assembly of the Holy Roman Empire to question Martin Luther, that same Martin Luther that we mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, regarding what he had written. And it was a charge of heresy against the Church of Rome. So they were going to question him on it. And they were going to demand that he recant the things that he had said and the things that he had written. Now, interestingly enough, an assembly back then, like this, was known as a diet. That was just the word that they used to, to call the assembly the Inquisition, which gave rise to the unfortunate name given to this event, which has stuck ever since, the Diet of Worms. But it's a name which has stuck through the centuries. So don't, don't get that confused. They're not eating worms, right? When you hear the Diet of Worms, it's Martin Luther's stand against the Holy Roman Empire for what he believed the Bible. Now, after hearing the charges as Luther was there, including a demand that he recant what he wrote. And being asked to respond, Luther said this. He said, Unless I am convicted by Scripture and by plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted one another. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And then he said this, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. This is where I stand. I can't move. I won't move. We stand in the gospel, brothers and sisters. We stand in it. We will not move our feet away from the gospel. We stand in the gospel. But it's not just about us and our willpower and our sense of we're going to stand in the gospel. That's not just what this means in which you stand. It also means the gospel is a firm foundation that God has placed us on. A foundation that God has given to us. Listen to the words of Psalm 40 verse 2, where it says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps 
secure. Have you experienced this this morning? Have you been there? Where before Christ, you were in a pit of destruction. It was a miry bog. There was no place to plant your feet. You were sinking. You were moving. Nothing was firm. Now, you did not pull yourself out of that pit. God did. If you have come to Christ today, God grabbed a hold of you and got you and pulled you out of that pit. And for the first time in our entire lives, He set us on firm ground. He set us on a rock. And all of a sudden we felt it and it didn't move. And we could push on it and we weren't sinking. All of a sudden we weren't moving. We weren't shifting. Remember that that great hymn that we sing? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. You could even say shifting sand. The world has no idea what it believes right now. They have no idea what they believe. Some people might have an idea of what they believe right now today. But let me tell you, I've only lived 36 years on this earth. 36. Very short, right? Especially when you consider history. 36 years. And in America, what what popular culture believes today is radically different than just when I was 10. It's radically different. It's only been like 25 years. That's a very small amount of time. The world has no idea what they believe. Everything is shifting sand out there. Shifting all the time. There's no place to put your feet. There's no place to stand and say, we are not moving ever from this. Now, you you might be moving tomorrow, the the way the culture is going. One minute, somebody's a hero. The next minute, they're getting dogpiled upon and canceled because of something they said 20 years ago. Right? It's crazy. But God's word, the ways of God, well, the, the flowers and the grass, they may fade, but the word of God stands forever. This never moves. This never changes. And when, when, when I became a Christian, when you became a Christian, God picked us up out of the pit of destruction and set our feet on solid ground. He set our feet upon a rock and He made our steps secure. And so when it says we stand in the gospel, we plant our feet in it. We're not moving. Pour concrete around our feet because we're not going anywhere for anybody Right For anything, I'm never moving. It's not worth it. But also it's God has placed us there. We stand on a firm foundation because God gave it to us. God helped us to find the firm foundation that we had never had before. So we, we receive the gospel. We stand in the gospel. And then what's he say next in verse 2? By which you are being saved. We are being saved by the gospel. We are being saved by it. Now, brothers and sisters, you've got to understand, we never get past the gospel. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter if you've been a Christian for decades upon decades, you never get past the gospel. You never get past it. We were saved by it. We are being saved by it. We will be saved by it. Notice the three tenses there. The Bible actually used the word save... It uses the word save in multiple tenses. And so if you read your New Testament, you will read things like, we were saved. We were saved. And so when I got baptized and I went under that water, at that moment I was saved. I went from not saved to saved. At that very instant, I went from 0% saved to 100% saved. In that moment, that was the moment, Jesus says in John 5, that was the moment we crossed over from death to life. And so you can look back and you can point to a moment in time in which you were saved. 
Martin Luther, that same guy, he used to say, remember your baptism. Every time Satan gets at you, every time Satan brings you to doubt, you remember your baptism. You think back to your baptism. I've got a a plaque in my office of this little, really old-looking baptismal certificate from when I got baptized on August 9th, 1998. And I look at that all the time because I need it. I need to remember frequently, no, that was when God saved me. I am saved. That was when God did it. That was when I got saved. That was when God saved me. So the New Testament will say you were saved, past tense, right? But it will also say, future tense, you will be saved. You will be saved. It talks about being saved in the future. Now, what's that talking about? Well, here's a helpful illustration. R.C. Sproul, who died a few years ago, used to be a really well-known Presbyterian preacher and speaker and author. R.C. Sproul used to tell a story about how, as a young man, he was out sharing the gospel with people. And he was, he was super excited because he was a new Christian. He was sharing the gospel with other, other young men. And he walked up to one young man and he said, one time, do you want to be saved? And the, the young man comes back at him and says, saved from what? And R.C. Sproul said, I didn't know what to tell him. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have a good answer for that. He, he asked me, saved from what? And I, I kind of just moved on and talked about something else and dodged it. But then that, that question lodged in my mind, what are we saved from? What do we get saved from? Well, the Bible says you will be saved. And it's talking about this. It's talking about on judgment day. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, on that day we will be saved from the wrath of of God. We will be saved from God's wrath. On that day, God will save us from God. God will save us from Himself. Did you know that that's what the gospel is? God saves us from God. God saves us from God by giving us a sacrifice to go in place of ourselves, in place of what we deserve. God saves us from God by God giving us the Son of God to die for our sins. And so, at the last day, you will be saved. You will be saved from God's wrath at the judgment if you are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, God's wrath will remain on you. And you will experience it for all eternity. But if you're in Christ, you will be saved from that. You will not have to experience God's wrath for all eternity. It's future tense. We will be saved. And so, the New Testament speaks about we were saved, past tense, We will be saved, future tense. But it also talks about, in places like 1 Corinthians 15, we are being saved. We are being saved, present tense. Now, what's that mean? If we were saved, we will be saved. What's it mean that we're we're being saved? Well, day by day, as we walk with Christ, as we grow in holiness, we are being progressively saved from sin. We are being progressively saved from sin. As we experience more and more victory over it, more and more freedom from it, we are being saved from sin day by day as we walk and grow in Christ. Now, when you become a Christian, unfortunately, sin does not just go away. We we wish that was what happened. It'd be great if when you got baptized, you never sinned again. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. That's not what our experience tells us. That's not what God's Word tells us. When you become a Christian, there's still sin inside of you. You still have what the Bible calls your sinful nature or your flesh. There's still temptations 
toward it, and we still fall to it from time to time. But as you walk with Christ, and as you grow in your knowledge of the Word, and as you grow in your love for the Lord and your love for others, the Holy Spirit begins to work on you. You begin to feel the power of sin weakening, and you begin to feel the power of God growing inside of you, day by day as you walk with Christ and as you pursue the Lord. Now, some of you have walked with Christ, like we said, for a number of decades. And if you have continued to grow, you can testify that sin does not pull at you nearly as strong as it used to, right? If you've walked with Christ and grown in Christ for decades, sin does not pull at you as strong as it used to. Now, there might be different areas of sin that God makes us aware of as we grow, different things that we have to kill off by the Spirit in our lives, Romans chapter 8. But sin does not grab at you and pull at you and tug at you like it used to if you've spent all that time growing in the Spirit. You sense the power of sin weakening and the power of the Spirit growing day by day as you are in Christ. And so we are being saved from the power of sin day by day as we walk with the Lord. We were saved. We will be saved. We are being saved. And it's all because of the gospel. It's all because of the gospel, all of it. You never get past the gospel. It is not as though we are initially saved by the gospel, but then we grow in holiness through other means. No, we are saved by the gospel. We stay saved by the gospel. We are being saved by the gospel. Tim Keller says the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It's, it's everything. Everything flows out of the gospel. It's not just what starts it. It's everything, right? How do you grow as a Christian? Well, the, the deeper you go into the gospel, the more you understand about what Christ did for you, the more you understand God's love, the more you understand your own sinfulness and your own unworthiness. That's how you grow. That's how you grow as a Christian. You go deeper into the gospel. You start to understand it more and more. You start to understand yourself and your own sinfulness more and more. God's love deeper and deeper. And you start to understand that there are implications in every single area of your life if only we can tap into the gospel. It's the gospel, front to back, A to Z. Now, finally, the fourth thing that Paul says about the gospel here in our passage is that you must hold fast to it. We must hold fast to it. Verse 2, this gospel by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Now, that's a big if, right? It's a huge if. It's two little letters, and it's huge. If you hold fast to the word that was preached to you. Brothers and sisters, we must hold fast. Because the implication here is, if you don't hold fast to the gospel to the end, those things that he said before won't be true of you. This gospel... You won't have received it. You won't be standing in it. You won't be saved by it if you don't hold fast to it firmly until the end. Part of the reason why we are here right now is we are helping one another hold on to Jesus. That's what we're doing. As a church, what a beautiful thing it is to come together, young and old, male and female, different seasons of life, different stages of life, different lives that we live but we are helping one another hold on to Jesus until the end when it's time to let go and it's time to see him, right? That's what we're doing. And so every now and then another one of our number passes away 
And hopefully if we've done our jobs together, we have helped them to hold on to Jesus until the end. That's what we're doing, brothers and sisters. That's what church is. We're helping one another hold on to Jesus. This is why we need to be reminded of the gospel again and again and again. We've got to hold fast to it. We so easily forget it. Now, you might be saying, wait a second, John, I don't really forget the gospel. Well, what this means is, you know it intellectually. But we so easily forget it in our everyday lives, do we not? I do. We all do. We forget it all the time in our everyday lives. Every time we get angry with someone else for not meeting some standard, we're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting that we do not meet God's standard. That we are in daily need of His grace and forgiveness. Every time we punish ourselves, or we can't forgive ourselves, we're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting that Christ died for those sins. They've already been punished. You can't punish yourself. Christ already was punished for those sins. We're forgetting the gospel. Every time we run away from God, or hide from Him, or avoid Him because of that sin that we've just committed. We're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting that because of Christ, God welcomes us with open arms. When we have sinned because of Christ, God is welcoming us with open arms. We are to run to Him, not run away from Him. Even after we've sinned, especially after we've sinned. Every time... We try to cover sin up or lie about it. Or we try to just avoid facing up to it for a long time, hoping it'll just go away. We're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting that the only thing that can truly cover our sin is the blood of Christ. Every time we shake our heads at someone because of their sin, every time we look down at someone because of their sin, every time... We have this attitude in our heads of, I can't believe someone would do that. We're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting that our hearts are capable of great darkness. And that we deserve condemnation just as much as they do. We do not deserve to be saved. It is a gift of God's grace. And every time we react in retaliation to something someone did against us, we're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting the one who prayed for his own murderers and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're forgetting the one who let the soldiers nail him to the cross so that he could save them. We're forgetting the gospel, brothers and sisters. We might know it intellectually, but we forget it all the time. We forget it in our everyday lives in all kinds of different ways. So we need to be reminded again and again and again. We need to remind ourselves. We need to have other people remind us. We need to be in God's word. That's why you'll see in God's word, you'll see the gospel over and over again. I just finished the Bible. Why do I need to read it all over again? Because we forget. We forget. We forget the gospel. What is the gospel, brothers and sisters? What is it? What's right here? Look at verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. Christ died for our sins. 
Christ died for your sins. You ever think about it like that? Christ died for your sins. Think about the things that you have done that you are ashamed to even remember. Think about the things that you have done that make you feel unworthy of God, unworthy of Christ, unworthy of other people. Think about all the ways that you have failed Him, all the ways that you have failed others, all the ways that you have failed yourself. Christ died for those. Christ died for those sins. Christ went to the cross and said, God, put them on me. Punish me for those sins. God punished His own Son. He poured out His wrath on His own Son for those sins. Jesus has already suffered for them. Have you you taken Him as your own? Have you taken His free gift of salvation so that it would apply to you? Because it does not apply to everyone. It does not automatically apply to you just because you're alive. Just because Christ died for the sins of the world doesn't mean it automatically applies to you. It doesn't. It doesn't apply to you until you come to Him. It doesn't apply to you until you give your life to Him, until you confess Him as Lord, until you're baptized into His name. Only then does it apply to you. But brothers and sisters, do you want to spend eternity suffering for your own sins, or do you want to let Jesus suffer for your sins? He's already been willing to do it. He offers you that gift freely this morning. All you have to do is take it. But let me tell you, it's not easy. It's free, but it's not easy. Because this free gift, this free gift comes with a life of dedication. This free gift comes with holding fast and standing firm. This free gift comes with participating in Jesus' sufferings. He said to his disciples, a servant is not above his teacher. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You've got to walk with Christ. You've got to take up your cross, he says in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. We've got to do it every day. But then he goes on to say, and it makes complete sense, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What will you do with the gospel? We're going to spend a few moments in prayer right now. An individual, private response to what God has just given us, to what God has just laid on our hearts. We ask everyone to spend this time. Go to the Lord. Come to Him with whatever is on your heart. You don't have to have holy words. You don't have to have the right ritualistic phrases. You don't have to sound like you know what you're talking about. You just have to come to Him real from your heart. And so go to him now in prayer. We'll have a few minutes of private prayer and private response where we ask everyone to do that. And then after those minutes of prayer, we'll come back together and we'll have a time where those who need to respond publicly to the gospel can do so. Let's pray together.